Hello everyone and welcome to the 8th episode of the OP English podcast. You are now listening to the A2 version of the podcast. If you would like to listen to the B2 version, it is available on the same channel. Today, I'm sitting here on a rainy Wednesday morning. I just ate a bowl of hot oatmeal. I think that it is the perfect meal for when you feel cold. It is necessary now because the temperatures are just constantly going down. Although it is rainy, I'm in a great mood today because I spent the weekend in Jehlava meeting new people, visiting local pubs and cafes. And I can definitely recommend the Ježek brewery by the way. So I'm doing pretty well. Today's topic is one of the most iconic statues in the world. I am almost sure that if you show the photo of this statue to people anywhere, they could tell you the name and the location of this monument. Today, we will talk about the Statue of Liberty in New York. The history of this statue isn't as simple as some people might think. There is a lot of hard work, fundraising and problems in this story. Fundraising znamená schromažďování prostředků. We now need to go back to the late 1800s to meet a man named Eduard René de Laboulay. Why should we focus on this man, you might ask? Before I tell you, let me say that we are talking about a poet, a jurist, author, politician and activist born in 1811. He really liked the United States political system and was one of the leaders of the French anti-slavery society. Therefore, as you can imagine, he was a supporter of the Union during the American Civil War. In 1865, the Civil War finally concludes with the Union winning, which made Laboulay very happy. The same year, an idea forms in Laboulay's busy mind. The French should give a gift to the United States of America. In a conversation between Laboulay and his friend and sculptor Frederick Bartholdi, the concept of a statue built with combined effort was created. This statue, the two men planned, should be a symbol of liberty and it should inspire the French to be a bit more like Americans. As you can probably see, Laboulay was very inspired by the free democratic US and wanted the monarchy of France to be more like the land across the ocean. When Bartholdi and Laboulay later traveled to the United States, which was just after the Franco-Prussian War, the project started really making some progress. The story says that when they were arriving at New York Harbor, Bartholdi saw Liberty Island, which had a different name at this time. A small piece of land that boats and ships had to go around if they wanted to enter the port. There and then, he decided that the ideal place for this enormous project would be this land. The two Frenchmen spent their time in the US meeting important people with influence, one of which was also President Grant. Ulysses S. Grant made Bartholdi even more excited when he mentioned that the island is state-owned and therefore construction on it is realistic. In 1870, first sketches of the statue were drawn. The most successful idea was that of a female figure, Columbia. Columbia is the female representation of the United States, by the way, Britain, for example, has Britannia. It is basically a character which symbolizes the nation. France has Marianne. When I first read about these, I started thinking, does the Czech Republic have such a symbol as well? And to my surprise, we do. It is Czechia, a woman holding a sword who represents the Czech nation. 
We can find a statue of Czechia in front of the National Museum in Prague, for example. But now back to the Statue of Liberty. Another female personification that was suitable for the statue was Liberty. The name comes from the Roman goddess Liberta. You could see this character for example on coins at the time or as inspiration for different paintings and other art. After choosing Liberty as the best candidate, Laboule and Bartholdi had to invent the style and general design of the statue. Apparently Bartholdi, a few years before this project began, created a design for a different project in Egypt which was a statue of a similar style and Bartholdi wanted it to stand at the northern entrance to the Suez Canal. This project didn't happen in the end. So when I tell you that this Egyptian concept was of a woman holding a torch, you can imagine how this went. Although Bartholdi used a big part of the, his previous project, he of course changed what the statue looked like, but still many other components could stay the same. At this point it was decided that the Statue of Liberty would wear long flowing robes and a crown. Let's talk about a crown for a moment here. I personally thought, until I read a few articles about the statue, that it is wearing some kind of a funky spiky crown hat. I found out that the spikes aren't really spikes. They represent a rays of light shining from Liberty bringing light to the whole world. There are seven of them, representing the seven seas and seven continents. You might think, right, so we have the design for the clothes finished, the crown is ready, the torch, but what about the face? What is the face of liberty? And honestly, this is an excellent question and I'm glad you asked. Some people say that the face of the woman belongs to Bartholdi's mother. Although there are other people who worked on the project saying that it is not his mother's face in fact. I guess we will never know for sure. When talking about the general design of the statue, Bartholdi said that he wanted the statue to have the right sense of proportion. He didn't want to make it too complicated and he wanted one unified style for the statue. Another important question is about Liberty's right hand. What should she hold? Should her hand just be by her side? Originally the creator thought about the statue holding a broken chain with her other hand to symbolize the end of slavery. But in the end, mainly because Bartholdi didn't want to make some people angry right after the civil war, he decided that the statue should hold a tabula ansata, which is a Roman style stone tablet. This represented law. Written on the tablet we see Roman numerals, which represent the date of the American Declaration of Independence. It is important to mention that the chain still appeared in the final design, just not in the hands of liberty. The statue is walking over a broken chain, which is on the ground. The chain is quite hard to see because of the shape of the stand or pedestal. With the help of his friend and mentor, whose name I just can't pronounce, but trust me it is very French, Bartholdi started choosing the structural materials and materials which later formed the skin of the statue. Their final decision was copper as the outside material, which only needed to be 2.4 mm thick and was formed by heating up big plates and then forming them with wooden hammers. 
The height of the statue was 46 meters in the plans. In September of 1875, the project was finally announced to the public and the reaction was mostly positive, except for the French monarchists, of course, because this was a symbol of something that they didn't like. An organization called the Franco-American Union was formed and Laboule became its leader. At this point, the full name of the statue was announced to the public as well. Liberty enlightening the world. You might be thinking now, who is paying for all this? And that is a question with a complicated answer. Laboule organized fundraising events, at first focusing on the rich and later moving on to common people. A lot of people gave money to this cause. The French agreed to pay for the statue if Americans pay for the pedestal. And they agreed, forming committees to gather the necessary amount of money. One quite interesting fact is that if you became a member of one of those committees and you were lucky enough and nobody knew it at the time, you could meet a future president there, the then 19 years old Teddy Roosevelt. The first thing we see built is the right arm of the statue, which is the one with the torch, and then the head. This was just before 1876, which was 100 years after the US declared their independence and there was a massive exhibition organized to celebrate this anniversary. Bartholdi couldn't miss this event and traveled to the US as part of the French delegation. The arm and the head weren't finished yet, so the delegation brought a giant painting of the statue to the exhibition. After the arm was eventually finished, it was shipped to the US, but it unfortunately arrived just as the exhibition was ending. It still had a little bit of time before the exhibition was completely over and it was quite a popular exhibit. This colossal arm, as people called it at that time, was then transported to Madison Square Park in New York. It stayed there on display for a few years before returning back to France. In 1878, we finally see the head completed as well. Bartholdi decided to exhibit it at the 1878 Paris World's Fair because he thought that it would help raise more money for it. This effort was supported by selling little models of the statue. One more way of getting money for it that was quite exciting to me was that you could buy tickets to see the construction of the tower in person. Speaking of different ways of fundraising for this project, on the American side there were different auctions of original arts, including an Emma Lazarus poem, The New Colossus, which is now associated with the statue. Another fundraising strategy was presented by Joseph Pulitzer, Yes, the man the Pulitzer Prize was named after, who promised to print the names of everyone who sent money in his newspaper, the New York World. I can imagine that this worked quite well, because this was equivalent to seeing yourself on TV nowadays. Around the year 1880, another important person enters the story, Gustav Eiffel. Yes, that Eiffel, the guy with the tower. Well, here he is helping form another of the modern world's most iconic structures. What an exciting life this man has lived, right? Well, for this project, he invented a skeleton system that held the Statue of Liberty up and was resistant to wind. In Eiffel's plans, you could find two spiral staircases designed for visitors to reach the observation point 
on top of the statue's head. If you wanted to go to the observation point on the torch, you had to go up a ladder, because the arm was too narrow for stairs. The skeleton was made in Eiffel's factory, but the copper pieces that formed the skin of the statue weren't all created locally. Surprisingly, the tower's creators decided to build it in France, then disassemble it, rozebrat, and transport it to the US. I think that it is easier to ship it disassembled, but I am sure this had a good reason. When the construction in France started, the US ambassador was there to symbolically fix the first plate of copper to the statue. Then, when the statue was half complete, Bartholdi even organized a lunch event and invited reporters to eat on a high platform. A year after this lunch event, Laboule unfortunately died, so he sadly never saw the complete statue. After successfully completing the statue in France a year later, the French had to wait for Americans to complete the construction of the pedestal. One thing I will add here is that some Americans weren't happy that they had to basically pay for a gift by building the pedestal, especially because the economic situation wasn't great then. Also, France had to pay about 250,000 US dollars for the statue and the US about 300,000 US dollars, which is quite funny because uh, France said that it is a gift. Let's talk about the design of the pedestal for just a moment now. When you take a look at photos of it, you will see that the overall shape is a truncated triangle. Basically, it is a bottom section of a pyramid, if that makes sense. The original plan was that the pedestal would be 35 meters tall. But because of financial problems, in the final version of the plan it was only 27 meters. Another compromise due to financial problems was the material of the base. The creator's idea was to use solid granite for the whole project, but in the end concrete was used and granite was only put on the outside. When the pedestal was complete, a ship with the statue arrived and the construction began. First, Eiffel's iron structure was built and then the copper skin followed. The workers were hanging on ropes when installing the copper skin, so that was probably pretty difficult. Finally, on the 28th of October 1886, the statue was, in a great dedication ceremony, given to the United States. There was an enormous parade in New York with almost a million people visiting it. A parade on sea followed, in which many boats moved across the harbor. One funny fail that I would like to share with you was that during a speech to the crowd made by a senator, Bartholdi was holding a French flag which covered the statue's face, and the plan was to let it go when the speeches were concluded. Bartholdi heard a long pause in the speech, so he let go of the flag. Then he just heard cheers from the crowd and I think at first it was an amazing feeling for him. What he didn't know was that the speech wasn't over yet and he let the flag fall too early. After this little fiasco, US President Cleveland had his speech. Bartholdi was offered a speech but he didn't accept the offer. And there you have it. That is how the Statue of Liberty was built.
I would also like to mention that it has since been renovated and that of course the tower looks very different now. The reason is that the copper plates corroded, which was planned, of course, giving the statue the greenish color that we are used to now. It is a symbol of the US and everybody is familiar with it, as we all know. And that is where I will conclude today's episode. So thank you very much for listening everyone. If you would like to see the transcript of the episode, some vocabulary exercises and other resources, please make sure to visit my Patreon. The link is definitely in the description of this podcast. And as always, don't forget to wait after I say my goodbyes for the vocabulary recap, which is in Czech. So thanks again for listening. I will catch you next time. Cheers and bye bye. A nyní se pojďme podívat na slovní zásobu z této epizody. První se podíváme na podstatné jméno effort. Effort znamená úsilí nebo snaha. Ve větě například takto It is a group effort, but every member has their own piece of work. Je to skupinové úsilí, ale každý člen má svůj vlastní kus práce. Další je sloveso support. Support znamená podpořit nebo podporovat. Například, many fans came to the match to support their football team. Mnoho fanoušků přišlo na zápas podpořit jejich fotbalový tým. Dále je tady sloveso mention. Mention znamená zmínit, zmiňovat. You didn't have to mention me in the story. Nemusel si mě zmiňovat v tom příběhu. Například. Dále je tady přídavné jméno suitable. Suitable znamená vhodný nebo vyhovující. I don't think that Sunday is a suitable day for this event. Nemyslím si, že neděle je vhodným dnem pro tuto událost. Dále je sloveso invent. Invent znamená vymyslet, vynalézt nebo stvořit. Například, when film projection was first invented, people were afraid of it. To znamená, že když byla prvně vynalezena filmová projekce, lidé se jí báli. Dále je tedy přídavné jméno previous. Previous znamená minulý nebo předešlý. Ve větě takto, our previous boss was very strict. This one is friendlier. Náš minulý nebo předešlý předchozí šéf byl velmi striktní, velmi přísný. Tento je přátelštější. A poslední, tu máme podstatné jméno influence, vliv. Může to být i sloveso bez změny spellingu, což je ovlivnit, zase influence. A jako sloveso to můžeme použít například v této větě. I think the weather can really influence people's mood. Myslím si, že počasí může opravdu ovlivnit náladu lidí. A to bude k dnešní slovní zásobě všechno. Ještě jednou moc díky, že jste poslouchali. Uvidíme se na Patreonu, kde taky najdete transkripty a cvičení. A toť vše. Takže díky moc a mějte se.